1: Hi, my name is Francis. I'm a host on the New Books Network, and today I have with me Alejandro Nava, a professor of religious studies at University of Arizona. Alejandro,
0: welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm excited to be here.
1: So I really enjoyed reading your book. I um, it was one of my favorite books I've read in a while, actually. And I'm wondering how you came to write this
0: book. Um, thank you for saying that that means a lot to me um, i I think uh, that I've over the years um, I've been teaching a class on hip-hop and religion at the University of Arizona for many years like I can't believe this but it's been like uh, in from the early early 2000s um, so I think in the, throughout that time I've developed and grown a lot. And, and I think one of the challenging things for academics is, you know, once it's really hard to um, lose some of the like some of the habits and customs of academic writing, especially when you're trained in graduate school. And I think over the course of those years, I've been trying to write more creatively, Um, bring a little bit more of myself into the picture. And um, so I, I, in many ways, I think like, I've kind of been moving in in that direction, Um, but I owe it a lot to my students. I I really think I have it in mind, even though I I still, I love ideas. I love academic um, discussions and conversations, but I always have it in my mind that I want, um, to be able to speak to my students and I want, uh, a general audience to be, I want my writing to be accessible and, um, creative. So I think that was a hope of mine that, um, I, I, again, I, I think, um, it's again, not to say that I don't find academic life intellectually stimulating and exciting and creative, um, But there's there's also limitations on the style and the form of of a lot of academic writing and that I was trying to move away from to an extent. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I would say your book definitely has a relevance that a lot of academic writing doesn't have. How um, how did you get interested in hip hop and have you always been interested in religion?
0: Yeah, so it's an interesting, um, so I grew up listening to hip hop. Um, I would actually have to say I've been thinking about it a lot lately um, that I, I really was the first to graduate from college in my family. Um, I'm from Tucson, Arizona, Mexican-American um, family, and I was the first to graduate. So I really didn't grow up surrounded by books I would honestly have to say that some of the rappers were the first to kind of introduce me to the, the magic of language, of words, um, the power of poetry, of of rhyming, and the extraordinary creativity of what was coming out of the mouth of a lot of MCs in the, the 80s and 90s and, and then into the 2000s. So I grew up listening to it actually my brother was a a b-boy and his breaking crew would compete um in the throughout the city and in, in tucson and they were extraordinarily like creative and it was like an exciting group there was one that was more of a rapper um another one most of them you know would would um they were both b-boys and b-girls um there were two women in in the crew and it was mainly a collective of black and mexican kids and i just remember how exciting it was in a lot of ways there was even there was a rapper um and they had somebody uh they didn't have anybody doing Graffiti writing—that was uh, one thing that was lacking. Um, but uh, but you know they had all of these things, and I just remember following my brother around, and marveling at the dances and at the routines, um, and and then particularly um, at the the inventiveness of some of the uh, the rappers, both in his group, but also obviously what I was hearing on the radio. So. So I, what I'm saying is I think I'd have to say that rap was really the first to captivate me, um, the art of language and the richness of the slang and the street idioms and um, all of that um, I think was very exciting to me. Now, I also had a very strong interest in um social justice issues. Um, I had an interest in religion, um, that developed, um, and I decided to go to graduate school to pursue religious studies. Um, I was kind of, I was particularly interested in Latin American religion. Um, and especially some of, some of the movements called liberation theology that was coming out of the, developing countries, especially in Latin America. Um, but I saw it really kind of in my own life here in Tucson that, um, in the later eighties, the sanctuary movement was part of my, I, I was aware of it. I wasn't, I was too young to be fully involved, but, um, but I was aware of it. And, and I remember, hearing a lot about the churches that were basically providing sanctuary for a lot of, of refugees fleeing very violent um, circumstances. And that was really kind of um, triggered something in me um, that had lasting consequences. And really, I'd have to say that redirected the the course of my life. So I um, because I was actually as an undergraduate at the university, I was actually an undergraduate at the University of Arizona. So um, I'm fortunate enough to return as a, as a professor. But um, but yeah, the I have to say that you know that the sanctuary movement and um, a lot of those social justice um, struggles of of the late '80s and the '90s um, were very formative. Um, influences uh, on on my life, and again, kind of running parallel to hip hop in many ways. I, I thought that hip hop was also tackling um, social issues, although I never thought that my academic studies and hip hop would merge. I I always saw them differently. So um, I ended up at graduate in graduate school at the University of Chicago. And I remember, again, I was pursuing basically like studies in um, philosophy of religion and, and Latin American religion. And I stumbled into this lecture on, I think it was advertised as something like God in hip hop. Um, and I was like absolutely fascinated because I, you know, I loved hip hop. But again, it was like a private interest i didn't see it connecting with my studies at the time um so i didn't know who he was but it turns out it was michael dyson um i I didn't know at the time who this professor was but i was blown away by the lecture it was on you know exploring religious elements of of hip-hop and um and this was probably somewhere I vaguely have a memory of it but it was like in the mid mid 90s um so it was a very exciting lecture and um so when I got a faculty position in um, the early 2000s at the University of Arizona I right away I thought I I wanted to create a class on um, religion and hip-hop and um they allowed me allowed me to do it. And it's been really an exciting journey, um, teaching the class at, at Arizona.
1: Great. So let's now jump into the content of the book. So in the first chapter, you write that we need musical and theological vocabularies that can capture both transcendence and earthiness. Purity and sin, sublimity and banging, cacophonous... Oh, sublimity and the banging, cacophonous noise of the streets. We need hip-hop's low-end frequencies to anchor us in the dirt and grime of the world. And that's a theme that you come back to in all of the chapters. The anchorage to the corp- to the corporal and, um, and physical, or even the locality of the world, rather than, rather than something... Ephemeral and infinite, or I guess in addition to something ephemeral and, and infinite. Why, why is this anchorage an important aspect of a living and a vital religion?
0: Yeah, that's such a, a an important question, and, and it does run throughout my book. You're you're so right. I I think that, um, especially the perception of theology. Um, the perception that a lot of people have is that it's um, obsessed with questions of, of transcendence and otherworldliness, um, and that it can have a tendency to, to neglect the physical and um, corporeal, sensual aspects of human experience. And I think what's remarkable about the culture of hip hop. Um, and again, I, and I think I point this out throughout the study that of course, hip hop is deeply flawed. <laughs> I mean, there are many problems with it. I, I'm, I'm not dogmatic about it. Like uh, I don't, you know, see hip hop as like uh, free from com- like ambiguity and has definitely some some troubling aspects. Um, But I I really do think that it was a really powerful art form that gave the mic to young um, black and brown youth and and then eventually like marginalized youth throughout the world, um, eventually. The disenfranchised groups in so many countries, I point that out, like even in Russia, (laughs) like disenfranchised kids picking up um, hip hop to be a voice of of dissent and and opposition, so I think that it gave the mic to these kids um, and allowed them to kind of express themselves, their joys, their their struggles, their uh, disappointments, um, their discontent with life as it is in parts of of the inner city. So there was an aspect of reportage, um, like of being a voice of um, from the ground level. And I think that that is something that can be extraordinarily valuable to the field of religious studies, um, especially like, as I was suggesting earlier, the, the way in which religious studies and theology um, tends to be confined to intellectual conversations and academic contexts or ecclesiastical contexts. And I think the danger is of betraying um, some of the struggles of, you know, of marginalized and unseen um, groups in society that um, that conversations of theology, religious studies would just occur in the universities. And, I, and so I think hip hop, like, brings it down to earth, so to speak, and, and that really um, can provide an insight, in life in the corners of the modern world, um, in the peripheries of, of the modern world. And I think I, I think that's one thing I, I really emphasize, that that's actually really true to the spirit of the biblical tradition. The biblical tradition in Judaism, Christianity, um, including Islam, um, has this, like, focus in both the Bible and in theological texts of being a voice of especially the prophetic tradition, the prophets being a voice of the marginalized, the oppressed, the the impoverished. And so I think in that sense, um, I often tell my class that, that I know we, in our day and age, we tend to think of like social justice concerns in a totally secular way. Um, But if you look at the biblical tradition, I mean, these were religious obligations and responsibilities, Um, caring for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the stranger um, was a religious expectation and and command. So I think in that regard that there can be a lot of, there are affinities between hip-hop's Expression of the struggles of marginalized groups, and uh, but at the same time, with all that said, I I think one of the things I I start off with in, in the introduction is is that there's a tension in hip hop studies between those that s- speak of hip hop um, as I have just emphasized the the elements of social consciousness, the commentary, the social commentary. Um, I think that there's some that really want to emphasize the importance of hip hop for social issues, social justice. And on the other hand, those that say, no, it's really not about primarily about social justice. It's about pleasure. It's about the beauty of the music. It's about rhyme schemes. It's about joy. It's about dance like reggaeton. Reggaeton tends to be dance centric. It's not typically very heavy on, like, social issues. And um, so I think there is there is that tension in hip-hop studies um, and in hip-hop itself of, of artists that are more frivolous with their rhymes or, you know, again, it's, it's more party-centric. Um, and then, of course, there's other artists that are speaking about issues that reflect some of the concerns of the day. And I think hip hop has both and um, that there's room, room for both.
1: Right, and it's not mutually exclusive also, I think. Like part of, the, t- part of that sensuality or taking part in the joy of hip hop can also be a radical experience
0: I love that that's uh, that's exactly what I was trying to convey is that like again to to use um, when I talk about reggaeton in the later chapters of it's it's not always you know again um I don't think you could reduce music in general to just the lyrics You know, music is obviously so much more than the lyrics. And again, that's another complaint I have with a a lot of academic approaches to music is um, thinking that you could just quote these words and it, you know, it it exhausts the meaning of a particular song. I mean, these are song lyrics. So it's like you have to understand the music and and the dance. Um, So with like reggaeton, I think it's through... I think I use this expression, um, defiance through celebration. So I think there's defiance through celebration, through dance, through the the, the loud um, banging beats themselves can be meaningful. And I, I mean, basically, these young kids saying that we're here, we're present, you know, and that kind of rending, rendering themselves visible is essential to it. And and you're so right. It's it's not always just like in the socially conscious lyricism.
1: It's interesting because it f- seems like such a different experience of religion itself. Like worship, there's like a a trend of like, I think you call it like middle class or suburban white middle class Christianity or Catholicism that's, that's worship. It's worship with, it's without rhythm. It's without like yeah. <laughs> so much song. The point is transcendence into another sphere rather than music. That's going to bring you mm-hmm. to where you are bodily.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Is, that, is the, is it just a different experience of religion that that music's informing this type of music?
0: Yes. So, um, again when i get to the um chapters on on reggaeton I, I specifically turn to the issue of dance more specifically um because i think you're so right that religion in general has typically been suspicious of dance um that's not always true in, in other religious traditions like the, i love some of the the stories of in uh, hinduism in in indian religious traditions where you know, the gods are portrayed as dancing. But you don't see that much in the Jewish and Christian and Islamic traditions. There's greater suspicion of dance because it's connected to the body. It's connected to sexuality. And so, especially if you look at, like, the history of American Protestantism, there was, like, fears of, of dance, um, going back to rock and roll, Um, gyrating hips and all that kind of sexuality. Um, It was also racialized. So there was a lot of um, that associations, not only with the body, but it was seen as um, associated with black traditions. And so there's connected to, of course, racism. Um, And so, yeah, generally speaking, in Christianity. And I think that generally holds true for, for Catholicism as well, that the music was very ethereal um, and supposed to put you in a mood of meditation, but it never ever rocked the body. I mean, it never moves the body. And unless again, think of the black church, like obviously where it's much more sensual, much more bodily um much more joyful and um I but but yeah so that that issue of again the the suspicion of religious traditions towards dance the body and sexuality are are deeply connected um in that regard and I think obviously hip-hop um, and music in general is it kind of, Expands the horizon of allowing us to see and experience um, transcendence in various ways that it doesn't need to be confined to um, a church setting, a church ritual, a church ceremony. Um, that there's ways. And so that's why I invoke um, at the beginning, St. Ignatius of Loyola, the, the very simple notion that God is in all things. Um, one of his maxims. And uh, I think that's an important insight. And the book kind of follows that idea that um, that God can be in in all things, um, including uh, the culture of hip hop.
1: That reminds me of something that William James wrote about pluralism or pluralistic pantheism, he called it, which is not obviously what we're talking about right now. But he does critique monotheism for alienating us from God or from the idea uh, or from the divine, really. Because if we're thinking of God as something infinite and something apart from us, we can't really take any meaningful part in it because we're, we're corporeal beings. We're not infinite. We're not we're, – we're here on this earth. So I think that talking about music within hip-hop this way – Seems like a really makes it seem like a really interesting way to connect us with that kind of infinitude. In that, like the music through the music, we can be both anchored to the earth and also we can be you know connected with the divine.
0: Yeah, I think, um, I guess to put it really simply, that there's this typical um tension in religious traditions between what's called transcendence and immanence. You know, God's presence in the earth, God's presence in the rivers and trees and lakes and animals and, and in each other. Um, and typically that's the sense of imminence is also what Christianity is understood by incarnation. So being taking flesh and, but Unfortunately, I mean, I think Christianity acknowledges God taking flesh in the figure of Jesus, but, um, and in creation, if you look, read, especially the history of Catholic theology, there's a strong emphasis on God's presence in creation, like uh, St. Francis of Assisi or something, um, who saw God in animals, and, you know, brother, son, sister, moon, um, but Again, the, the typically not fully in the human body. Um, and again, dance in particular, that there was this always this suspicion of dance is associated with sexuality. And that's one of the, I think, unfortunate biases of Christian theology of like this distrust um, of the body and dance and sexuality. Now, I do point out like in a lot of Latin American cultures, um, like I mentioned um, in Cuba in particular, there were hundreds and hundreds of dances in these cultures, in Latin American culture. So, and they were Catholic cultures. So, but I guess what I'm saying is that it was always marginalized from the religious ser- Well, there was festivities religious festivities where dance would have been, um, part of those religious celebrations. Um, but it certainly wasn't incorporated, generally speaking, into the rituals, like into the mass, um, for example. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting issue of like the, how Christianity and why Christianity developed such Pejorative connotations of like the body and sexuality, and,
1: right? Um, but that's
0: beyond the scope of my book.
1: <laughs> but it does seem like you're talking about how hip hop is overcoming that, and like, especially in the chapter on Kendrick Lamar, I remember you you say that he's not interested in that God. He's not interested in that God of white supremacy, and he's interested in a black Jesus one that can deal with, with like the human and the immediate.
0: Yeah, that was exactly what I was Mm -hmm. um, getting at with, um, with Kendrick Lamar and, and obviously he uses it metaphorically, of course, but, but for him, God's blackness is something like, you know, the identification of God with the struggles of marginalized groups and that, and and I think that's true to Christianity that Jesus embraces the outcasts of society, um, and yet a lot of times Christianity has privileged the insiders, the you know the powerful, and um, especially you know European forms of Christianity. And so I think that there's a long tradition in hip hop. Um, Tupac, for example, spoke of. a a black Jesus um, that obviously goes back before hip hop, of course. um, And that, you know, wants to kind of reframe our understanding of, of God through a different lens and um, looking at it through different non-European experiences and symbol, non-European symbols and images. And again, the point is not which a lot of critics of, wokeism This day, is very popular to bash um, wokeism. But I think what people are arguing for is not necessarily to jettison all European conceptions of God or Christianity. All people are arguing for is inclusion, like to be more broader, to include different human experiences um, into our idea of God um and uh i think um really ultimately um the the trends of that term wokeism like literally what it means is being wakeful uh, being aware (laughs) being socially aware and believing that the united states needs to grapple with the history of racism and um that we need to have a a racial as people of Said recently, like a, a reckoning with with race, and I think the critics of so called wokeism is are are basically arguing that we don't need a racial reckoning. <laughs> um, there aren't problems of racism in the history of our country. And, um, so, because I do point out at at the outset of the book that um, that there is always those like swings in hip-hop, and not just hip-hop, but in music in general, or in art, the studies of, of art, like, is art just for art for art's sake, or should it be something more meaningful? Um, and I said that in hip-hop, you have these, like, ebbs and flows. You have pendulum swings, where sometimes it's just escapist, where it's just, like like, somebody like Biggie, he was like a master at like his rhyme schemes and his flow and his voice, like the baritone voice. He was just such a master with um, rapping, with the art of emceeing. And he was, again, he's not necessarily talking about social so issues. So it there's aspects of where hip hop can be escapist. Like um, sometimes we need relief from... Um, the struggles of the day, Um, but there's pendulum swings. And then I think around 2010, maybe, um, the pendulum started swinging and you start seeing an uprising and voices that want a meaningful content. Um, In other words, like combining, somebody once says both the music and the meaning. Like, so I think, from 2010 on, there was a, a stronger sense of, like, people want more meaningful messages and more inclusive that include different experiences that are more maybe gender-bending. And um, you see this in, like, reggaeton, and like Bad Bunny, who is, like, like, in the Met Gala. I mean, he typically likes to play with gender. And um, so I think people want more meaningful content and are tired of like the hip hop that is only like, is misogynistic and, you know, um, can be anti-gay and, you know, that I think for good reasons um, has been called into question.
1: Right. I think, well, I think Kendrick is someone who, is really good at bridging both of those things like it's just so musically rich but also just lyrically like insane um and I also wanted to talk about how like religion in Kendrick's music Kendrick's music is um is so like multifaceted and so complex there are a lot of different layers to it I found like from, from what you were saying, I just had, I listened, he's my favorite artist ever, so I've been listening to him forever, but I, I just heard so many new things after reading your book. Like, one layer being that there are biblical metaphors and symbolism, like, you talk about how he uses water in his song, Thirst, and fire in The Black or the Berry. Then there are also biblical figures directly discussed, like Lucifer, he talks about Lucy, Um, angels, and the Messiah. And then you also have the sonic quality of the music itself, which is spiritual and jazzy in and of itself, but also really intense and like bass-heavy at times. It can be both guttural and transcendent. So... I would love to discuss all of those layers, starting with, with the metaphors, like, what are some of the metaphors you notice in, in his music?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, the, they're hard, there's so much richness there. And, um, so I'll give you a couple, um, one that a little more explicit is the one you just, um, invoked, uh, sing about me, I'm dying of thirst where Kendrick Lamar makes it clear that, for him, it's about baptism. Um, and so we know that between the mixtapes of Kendrick Lamar's when he was still in his teens, um, he was already really prolific. He was just like, he released many mixtapes before Good Kid, Mad City. Um but if you listen to him, he's like still searching for his voice. I mean, naturally, he was really young. and um, But somewhere between his mixtapes and Good Kid Mad City at t- in 2012, he, in his own, this is not my view of things, he got religion. You know, he um, had a religious conversion um, where he became more intensely Christian and a song like sing about me, I'm dying of thirst. um, I think what's remarkable about Kendrick is he also addresses that like hip hop in the past has addressed a lot of social issues, but he's also addressing like spiritual needs. Um, And I think that's, pretty remarkable um, in the culture of hip hop of that he sees a lot of the youth of his generation and younger um, needing things more than just material possessions and um, that there are deeper desires in the human, that the human spirit yearns for. And that's kind of what a lot of his his music. So I think you know he says explicitly that "Sing about me, that I'm dying of thirst" is the waters of baptism, and um, so and and has a lot of biblical images of um, connecting with John's gospel of um, the symbolism of water in there. But let me jump to another my favorite uh, metaphor. Um, into pimp a butterfly is of course the butterfly metaphor, because it's particularly relevant for religious traditions since the butterfly is often a symbol of the soul. And it's such a beautiful image that <clears throat> that Kendrick Lamar um, plays with onto pimp a butterfly is the transformation of the caterpillar from you know this early larvae stage. Um into the caterpillar, into eventually a, a butterfly, who can soar into the skies. And I think, of course, it's a symbol of transformation, um, a religious, of, of kind of a spiritual transformation. And um, he's like intent on chronicling that in so much from again good kid is about you know the life of this kid growing up in in compton and trying to survive the streets um but it's also about his growing consciousness and a growing spiritual transformation and and i so i love the the metaphor of the butterfly um and I guess you could see also in "To Pimp a Butterfly" is where he uses a stronger jazz aesthetic, of course. Um, whereas in Dam, is much more of like a Southern influence. Um, trap beats are a stronger. It's more of a, a booming aesthetic in um, in "Damn," um, whereas uh, "To Pimp a Butterfly" is more avant-garde it's more creative um so it i I say that you know it's for people to have more sophisticated tastes for for music um which is why it wasn't necessarily like the kind of music for radio play as much as like good kid and and damn was so and i'm really excited to see what happens with his his new album that's supposed to come out soon Mm -hmm. so So those are two my my favorite metaphors but it's really about you know um, so much of that is he's telling a story about his transformation as an artist and as a person um and as somebody who undergoes a spiritual transformation and embraces um christianity
1: Have you seen his new music video?
0: No, I haven't. What did you think? It was really cool. <laughs> oh. It's um the heart part part four. 5, yeah. Heartful. Okay.
1: There's a lot it's it was crazy. It was like <laughs> they
0: used deep cuts, deep fakes, I mean. Oh. Oh yeah. I I think I read something that they um that he appears as different characters. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. As oh. Kanye, Will Smith,
0: <laughs> Nipsey oh, wow.
1: Hussle, a, a bunch of people. I'm curious to, to hear what you think after you see it. Yeah. And uh, what do you hope to see in in this new album coming out? What do you think it's going to be like?
0: God, I'm I'm super excited about it. Um, I don't know what to expect. Like, I, um, again, I I um was looking at, um, I remember. Just yesterday, I was like flipping through something, just looking at some of the lyrics that appear in um, the heart part four and five. And um, I think, you know, that Kendrick is Kendrick and he's going to always be, um, I think he's going to give us always extraordinarily thoughtful lyricism and masterful, like, rhyme schemes and he switches personas and actually that's a good example of that where you know he he likes to which makes it really difficult I, you know when we talk about it in my classes it's like is he speaking for himself or is he embodying a different person there's so much of that where he loves putting on masks and playing different characters so that's why it's very dramatic it's very theatrical because he's playing, different, he's an actor, he's playing different characters and giving voice to different experiences. Um, so I think, you know, we're going to get all of that. Um, I'm most interested in seeing, like, the production side, like, what the production is going to be like, the music itself. Did, did you find it compelling? The again, I haven't listen to it carefully yet i i've been swamped with final exams and uh, but did you find the music itself compelling and, like, i
1: did i thought it reminded me more of to pimp a butterfly than damn okay and to pimp a butterfly was is my favorite of all time
0: yeah yeah i love it i love it too so I'm all sure right well that's that. good to hear i'm i'm excited to to sit down with it
1: yeah um, i don't know if that song is part of the album but It was great. Um, All right. So my final question is, are you, what's next for you? Are you working on anything following up this, taking a break after this (laughs) book comes out? Yeah. I mean, I'm,
0: um, in many ways, I'm still, uh, you know, I still teach this class on, on hip hop and religion and I, there's just so many different dimensions of hip hop that. And I think that the thing that's interesting about pop music in general these days is how fast it changes. And I think the culture that we live in is always obsessed with the new, like the fresh, like what's, who's coming out next and which can be problematic too. Because I I mean, if you're an artist, I could see the pressure No wonder there's so much like issues of anxiety and um, sometimes depression. And again, that's another uh, theme I mentioned in the book and we discuss in my classes of just like this generation of like struggling with these um, mental health. And um, you see it in a lot of the artists as well, Um, especially ones that have died too young, you know, Um, or drug overdoses. And but I guess I'm saying that a lot of those issues is this feeling of like, this overwhelming pressure to constantly come up with something new, right. And you're forgotten, you know, in six months, or, or less sometimes, like, if it's last month, you're already like, the old thing. And <laughs> we're looking for something new and fresh. So
1: it's crazy. And you're not even making money anymore from like selling yeah. records, you have to then go and perform forever
0: exactly it's crazy not, there's there's that issue of like um you've got to be doing the concerts and and all of that so um so there is definitely a lot of pressure it's it's always changing which also can make it exciting that there's always new voices i think um what we're going to see a lot more of and i again i mentioned this in the later chapters of, of like I, I, you know more um reggaeton uh, more um, Latino voices, I think, are going to be part of um, the future of, of hip hop. So I'm I'm excited to see how how that develops. I'm also in this is now really um, switching beyond hip hop, but I've I've you know was born and raised in the desert regions of Arizona, and I'm always I'm really interested in the notion of the desert, um, and as it connects to migration. Um, you have still the presence of people coming up across the desert, um, often dying in in the desert on that trek. that still happens a lot. Um, and, and so the image of the desert, of course, is a crucial, uh, symbol in the biblical tradition. So I'm kind of interested in the symbol of the desert and as it connects to migration. So I might, uh, move in that, that direction, but say that hip hop is always going to be um, an interest of mine well i'm excited it's, to see what's next yeah. thanks so much i really appreciate the invitation francis and of course
1: thank you so much for being here
0: yeah of course thank you